appreciate it. Um, I have a four-minute video, give you an overview, and then I'll uh, get into uh, a PowerPoint and show you how that works, okay? Hola. Your journey starts now. Just south of our border is an amazing world that needs the gospel. BEAM Latin America has a wonderful program for those who would like to diversify their opportunities in this good news expedition. This mission's journey was set in motion by the Apostle Paul. Many of us are familiar with this activation of our Lord's command and that we are to be great commissional Christians. BEAM Latin America still believes this model works. This means evangelism, making disciples, assembling believers into local churches, and repeating the process from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Missions has a very specific biblical purpose, evangelization that produces churches. Paul evangelized. Acts 13.49 says, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Paul saw churches started. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Acts 14.23 This resulted with churches in Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. The journey expanded throughout all Asia and Europe. Paul capitalized on this clear vision by training pastors, his seminary on the road. These trained men were ready to minister in the churches that were started. With great commissional obedience, Paul's three missionary journeys, came great expansion of the gospel. By the 15th century, we saw the journey expand to the new world, the Americas. This expansion brought souls saved, church starts, and biblical training throughout the world. The journey is about to go full circle in many parts of the world. The time is ripe for the expertise of BEAM. Where can our journey take us? We have opportunities in Brazil, Bolivia, Chile, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Ecuador, Argentina, Honduras, and other countries in South America. Many graduates would be overjoyed to receive a two-year window of support to plan a new church. These are men who live without in order to get an education, who already know the language, and can travel freely throughout the nations of Latin America. We can clearly see an advantage in investing in a national graduate versus an American graduate. In the time it takes one new American missionary to get his first church established, we could start about 16 churches under national pastors, remembering that the national does not need deputation, language school, nor cultural adjustment. He is ready to go, ready to serve, ready and trained for church starting. This diversification of our mission's dollars can prove to be very effective. This is not to say that we stop praying for and sending Americans to the field, but pioneer missions work is just a small window at the beginning of the timeline in this biblical journey. Touching lives we could never reach. Constructing church buildings under harsh conditions. Yielding much fruit as the journey continues. Would you pray? Would you partner? Would you put your feet into motion? And join our journey.
Not just where we've been, but where we're going. It's an honor to be in your pulpit. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's an honor to partner with you folk. You have been most gracious to us, and you have been reaping some really, really good spiritual rewards. I want to tell you about some of those, but let's pray first, okay? Our Father, thank you so much for opportunities to share great commissional Christianity. We're thrilled to see what you're doing here. We're thrilled at this church, the talent and the commitment that you've raised up here. Lord, we're thrilled to see what you're doing to the uttermost parts of the world. It's our joy to be reunited with friends, Mike and his family. I pray for Bruce. Um, what I do is a picnic compared to what he's doing right now. We'll not forget that, nor will we take it lightly. I pray for him, Lord, that you give him safety. Help him to shepherd his flock. We'll weep with those that weep. And, and Lord, we have to have time to rejoice with those that rejoice. So we'll do both. We'll give you the glory and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Three years ago, I was here. Three years ago, I was with your dad right here in the front. And he's a dear friend. Ah. Makes me cry what, what he's going through. Missions this century. Let's get, let me share with you some, some of the other stuff that's going on, okay? And, and it's, it's important that we not forget. We, we, we want to position ourselves to make the most out of our missions dollars. Strategic plan for 21st century missions. That's what Joe and I are doing. That's what this is about. That's what BMLA is all about. We want to make sure that what we are doing is going to reap very, very good results so that your missions investment in us produces some, quite honestly, produces churches, produces souls for the Lord, and expands the footprint of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's what we're all about, is it not? I, I think so. That it should be anyway. So what we do is sort of simple. BMLA underwrites national church starters for two years. It's very important. It is a difference that we have from other organizations. We are not going to continue and perpetuate dependence upon the U.S. dollar. We're not going to do that. They get two years. I think that comes from some of the training that we went through back in the day when, when, when we went out to start churches, and I did, and... You pretty much were in, in that that realm too. You got one year. Um, old Doc Jordan, it was one year and you were on your own and that sort of perpetuated. Well, we're two years with our guys. These men are called, trained, and recommended. And those are very, very important words. It qualifies the men for the work that we are offering them to do. BMLA streamlines the process establishing autonomous churches with national pastors. Think about it for a moment. When the U.S. missionary is finished doing his job, wherever he's at, the ultimate ends of that ministry is a national pastor, right? I, I think so. I think I'm right with that. They're, they're going to get a national to replace them and go on. Or uh, there are some different models out there. I understand that. But that's typical. 
That's where we're going. That's what we want to do. And if not that, then to train them. And I think that's what Mike is doing. That's what Bruce is doing. Uh, that, that's the desire to get these nationals ready and equipped to take churches. And to have phenomenally good ministries in the country that they're at. So we want to evangelize strategic cities. We want to establish local churches, and we clearly want to entrust these works to faithful men. That's the job that we are, are doing. That's the, the desire that we have. A couple of questions we really need to address. Why do it, first of all? Why in the world do it? Um, aren't, isn't the present model working? Uh, we need to examine that for just a second. But how do we replace the missionaries coming off the field? Do you realize that we are working at a deficit, a major deficit in producing men to replace pastors here and missionaries on the field? You're very fortunate. You have a staff. You guys are, are, are phenomenally blessed. Really, really are. You need to tell your staff that you appreciate them a lot. That's very important because there's a lot of churches today that are out there, and I hear it all the time. Hey, counterman, do you know anybody that could come and take my place? We're getting ready to retire. Do you know any guys looking for ministries? It's out there. I'm hearing it again and again and again. We're losing ground. Our, our schools are not producing enough men called, dedicated, purposed to go into ministry and do a great job for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we not have the men, but how do we maximize the use of missions dollars available? In case you haven't heard, there is not an abundance of missions dollars. You guys do a phenomenal job. I am humbled at what I see and what we have experienced from your giving and your dedication to missions. Not every church is like this one. That's the truth. That's the truth. So, how do we replace the missionaries coming off the field? Too many of them are on pre-field or deputations we know, and they end up saying, I quit. Matter of fact, several sources believe that there's about a 50% dropout rate among missionaries through the end of their first term. In other words, half of the people that start in missions don't make it to a second term. Now, think about that for a moment. That's tragic. I mean, that, that's tragic. If God has called them to that work. And there are reasons. Let me show you a few. Here are the reasons that the guys leave the field, gals leave the field. And I mean, these are, some of them are very honest reasons. Some of them are, are, are very, very legitimate. There's a few in there that aren't, like moral failure. That's not a legitimate reason. We can do better than that. Um, Death, that's not a good reason to leave the field. No one wants that reason. Um, did not complete pre-field. Let me show it to you another way. This is a chart, 132 units. This is a, this is a mission agency in the United States. One out of five did not complete pre-field. Think about that. One out of five that said they are called to go to the field. Never even made it through deputation. That, that's, that's, that's scary. 
um, some of them are being brought off of the field or before they ever get to the field, they go into a pastorate. They find a church that needs a pastor and instead of going to the field, they go to the pastorate. Um, moral reasons, again, medical issues. We, when I was down in Maryland, uh, we sent out three guys. We had three missionaries. Two of the three came back because of medical missions within, uh, medical uh, issues within their family. Uh, kids with uh, diseases that they, they couldn't handle. And we're seeing this again and again. This is reality. Missionary retention is another reason. Just to keep them. Uh, here we have again a, a, a span from 2007 to two, uh, 2018. If you add up the retirement and resignations and put it against the candidates, the candidates coming in, retirement and retention going out or off the field, we're at a minus 113. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but that screams help to me. That screams that we are not making it. We are not doing the job. So our present dilemma, it's sort of simple. Too many pastors and missionaries are retiring or resigning. And it's their right, and some of it could be prevented. Some of it can't be prevented. Too few men are training to replace those retiring struggling retention rate of those uh, starting in ministry to complete the task that they say God has called them to do. And then because countries are closed or expelling North American ministries, we're starting to see this because of circumstance or because of potential issues. We see it going on. Pray for this guy right here. You never know. You never know what's going to happen over in Eastern Europe right now. And expelling missionaries is not out of the question. We, we need to be praying that God changes the heart of the leadership of Russia. The national church planner who's called, trained, recommended, accountable, is an answer to this present dearth. Now, I'm showing you reasons for our ministry. And these are legitimate reasons. They truly are. So BMLA, our main function is to direct local churches funds directly to a called, trained, recommended national church starter for two years. We are not going to continue this on and on and on. They get two years. That's what they get. We did make an exception with COVID. The ones that we presently had under under our, our wing, we extended for six months to give them some added abilities because of the restrictions of COVID. But it's typically two years, that's it. So they go, they work hard, they get a church established, and they do it in two-year time. BMLA also supplies Bible distribution, building projects, children's camps. You can read that. The range. <clears throat> what we're able to do with a lot less is get churches started. 800 to $1,900 a month is the typical range. We're saying the average pastor to get him started in Latin America is about $1,350 a month. That's what it costs. But think about that. What an advantage paying that to get a man that is trained already and he knows the language, he knows the culture, his wife is typically of that culture, Everything is favorable, plus they come with 
very strong recommendation. I'll get to that in a moment. It covers his ministry needs, building, rental, pastoral support, food, housing. It is the complete package that they need. They are not going to live as an aristocrat, hardly. But what they will live as is typical of the people that they are ministering to. They'll live on the level of the people that they're ministering to. And with that, their needs are met. So they can concentrate on ministry, not on where is their next meal going to come from. So we take those, those burdens off of them and turn them loose to do what they're trained to do. It translates to, the video said 16, we've reduced that to 14, but about 14 national churches could be put in place for the same price cost of one North American to start a church. Now let me put in a disclaimer right here. We must continue to send men to the field from our churches That's biblical. It's great commissional Christianity. We must pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends laborers into his harvest. That's biblical. We must continue to do that. But surely, surely we are wise to leverage some of these advantages. It makes good sense. It just makes sense. So... With the national pastor, the overall process is the same. We look for the calling. We look for the training. We look for the funding. We look for the language training. We look for the cultural adaptation, evangelism. They must do that. How can you start a church if you can't evangelize? And yet we're sending people to the field that are unskilled, that perhaps haven't even led a person to Christ in their ministry. That doesn't make sense to me. And um, our guys are getting screened. These things must be met. And then the ability to organize a church with a national pastor. So strategic missions, that's what we're doing. We're saying, what if our investment of missions dollars could eliminate much of the time, much of the cost, and reduce the dropout rate? Well, folks, what if we could go right to the trained at national church starter? Those are the questions we ask. And the answer again and again and again says we can, we should, and we are. We're going right to that national church starter. We'll eliminate the training, the funding, the language, the culture, the adjustment. All of that stuff is taken care of. We don't get guys still in training. We get them after training. We get guys who are proven and recommended. We get guys that God has clearly demonstrated his hand of blessing on them. So, with that in mind, the supported national pastor for two years is able to do what he's been able to tra- been trained to do in his own country, in his own culture, and with his own people. Notice the own. It is such a shoe-in. Over and over again, the reading that we do says that the national is going to have advantages over the foreigner in starting churches. And I believe any missionary that's honest is going to say, yes, there are clearly some advantages. It's not insurmountable or we wouldn't be supporting them. But there are clear advantages. Global areas, there are global areas where this can happen. It doesn't work every place. It could, but every place isn't equipped equipped for this model, equipped for this template. So, for instance, 
we go directly to the product that's being produced in the missions process to train national church starter. The position, and this positions the supporting churches to invest in the very product that we all want, the national pastor. Let me give you an illustration. One of the schools that we use to draw our men is a school in Trujillo, Peru. Um, we have some of the men that we've gone to school with or men that we have uh, rubbed shoulders with, perhaps sent some of our guys to, to teach at that school. The school just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Now think about that for a moment. We've had missionaries here for 60, 70, 80 years They've put together churches. They have pooled their resources and Saul had a vision to reproduce and to train nationals. And they put together a school and they've been doing this for 50 years. This is just one of several of the schools that we use. But the key is the national pastor. They have seen this time coming and they have reacted to it in a positive way. They have been proactive, and that's good. So how does it work? This is where some of the nuts and bolts of it, and, and again, I, I want to show you this only because I want you to see the, the mechanism that we put in place so that we value the process and we get the results that we're after. By the way, we have about a 95% success rate. Guys that we have underwritten... We have about 25 autonomous local churches right now. And we have six guys on payroll right now, two ready to go. And that's just waiting for congregational approval from two churches. And we're ready to go to eight guys under, uh, under our wing right now that we're supporting. Think about it this way. We're starting a church every month and a half. We're getting a church start. That, that sort of excites me. I don't know about you, but that, that sort of excites me. We start with core advisors, both national and North American, who are associated with a Bible college, a seminary. And the qualification of school is we want a Baptist school that's going to produce Baptist pastors. And that's very, very important to us. We would use terms, we, we don't use term, terms with them, but we would identify with terms like Fundamental and Baptist and dispensational. Those are things we look for in the qualification of the school. Who's teaching and what are they producing? And then the qualification of the advisor. The advisors that we look forward to are those that are interacting with the students on a regular basis. These will be the professors. These will be the missionaries that are uh, pastoring churches, or starting churches around the school itself that see and interact with these young men on a day-to-day basis. They see them for years, not moments, not one time. Uh, here's the best show I have. And, and, and um, you, you know, I have five kids that play the violin. Uh, that's not it. This is the day-in and day-out stuff. This is the character issue. This is the evangelism issue. This is where they see loyalty to local church and a, a high view of the Bible. These are the guys we're looking for. And these are the guys that we are asking our advisors to recommend to us. The ones that are well proven and well seen. This is the first layer of accountability that we have put into place so we get a good product. Just last week, I was in 
a school in Monterey, Mexico. The acronym is UCLA. It's a, a Bible college that's there. Um, it's drawing young men and women from all over Latin America. It is very well put together. I was extremely impressed. They have a four-year degree program and a two-year master's program. They are doing it right. They are spending the time and putting in very good academics so that their product is what we would be after. The dean of the university is Matt Bixby. Um, This is sort of like the friend of the friend. Uh, We have supported a guy named Tim Chapman. He's an MK. He's down in Lima, Peru. He teamed up with one of our guys and put a church right in the heart of Lima. This is his brother-in-law. So it's sort of like word of mouth. We get these schools that are doing a great job. Uh, Carl Herbster was the guy that actually was in back of this and drove it. And they've done a phenomenal job. Their campus is about three, uh, three blocks worth of buildings. And they, they really have done a great job. The students that are there, uh, I had a chance to interact with them. That, that would be, let's see if we can do it. That's me there. And what I'm doing with this is I'm addressing all of the, the students in the seminary. Um, I, I, I'm showing them how to prepare how to prepare their life and their testimony and their credentials to partner with us. If they have a, an interest, here's what we're after. Come back tonight, I'll, I'll, I'll show you what we've done there. But I've, I've been able to do this with this school and others. We are growing guys, grooming guys for our program. We want them to be godly young men from the get-go. We are wanting them to be ready in the blocks when they graduate, not having to take another three years or another five years. It's like, grow up. This is your calling. Now let's get going. Let's get serious about it. The Lord's coming again. That's where we're at with it. And we want them to invest in that process. The application process. There's an agreement of support. The doctrine has to be the, uh, the same as ours. We have to have a way of transmitting funds. There's accountability and the reality of the end of support. We go over it again and again and again. It's two years. It's two years. It's two years. There's no question. When it's up, it's up. You say, oh, it's so cold. What happens if? I'll handle your questions either later on today or come back tonight. And I'll, I'll take any questions you have in our process. I'd love to answer them. There are reasons for almost everything that we do. And this application needs to be approved um, And almost without fail, we're doing this. There are some exceptions with our board. Let's talk about our board for a minute. Maybe you'll know somebody that's on that thing. Maybe you'll know somebody that's on that board. Uh, You know, anyway, um, these are the guys that I answer to. Um, They're wonderful men. These are just wonderful men of God. Um, They've been very gracious with me. they ask the right questions when they need to ask them. They ask the hard questions when they need to ask them. And they're a blessing to my soul. They truly, truly are. I couldn't ask for a better bunch. Uh, let me show you some of the product. Now, when I'm doing this, say, oh, the guys are listening names. No, no, no. This is some of what you guys have helped to make. This is some of your work in Latin America. 
I could go down through them. Cesar Castillo, uh, he's in a place called Terrapoto. It would be in about the middle. Let's see if I can get, give you a couple of ideas. Terrapoto is right in this area. Luis Escobar, he is in Terrapoto also, as is Theodoro Rodriguez. Actually, Theodoro Rodriguez is not there. He's over here in uh, the Trujillo area, about where the, the pointer is. Joel Gamboa is in Trujillo, where I just pointed. David Toribio. David Toribio is a pastor that works with a camp ministry in Camp um, uh, Fortaleza, which is south of Trujillo. And he has a village pastorate there and is overseer of the properties and pastors while the, the, the uh, camp season is uh, active. This next guy, Wilbur Wilka, he is in a place right in here called Sipawa. Wilbur's an interesting guy. His wife is part of the Yeni tribe. And that tribe goes into what's called the uh, no-contact realms of the uh, Amazon jungle area. The anthropologists and the government got together and said, let these natives alone. These are the guys that you would see in pictures from National Geographic that I can't show in churches. Read between the lines. Um, I, I mean, they, they do. They little, literally run around tribal. <laughs> Wilbur, in this village called, or town, small town called Sapawa, um, he, has a, he has a circuit ministry. And I don't know that he'll ever get totally independent just because of the lack of resources there. But he, he ministers in five churches. It's, it's very, very interesting. When we, when we went in to see his works, we flew in with float plane. Um, that's that, either fly in with float plane or take a two-day trip on a dugout canoe or whatever. The, you know, the, the boats that they use, the long skinny ones. And the, the, the restroom facilities are terrible on those things. So for all of you older men, you can relate to me. Anyway, um, Wilbur Wilka. Ruben Villar, Ruben Villar, um, let me see if I, oops, um, let me see if I can uh, get, there we go. Ruben Villar right here, he is in Cusco. He was in a place called Abancay, we underwrote him. Your money's helped through this. He is right now, was called to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Cusco. It's one of the biggest Baptist churches in that whole region. It surely is in the state of Cusco. He's doing a phenomenal job. He is also now one of my advisors. Sam, Samuel Vega is in, um, um, uh, he would be up in the mountains uh, where, there's Lima. He would be right up in the mountains, a uh, town, a city called Huancayo. Now, this, most of these places that I'm talking about, uh, a million people, uh, Cusco, a million people, Huancayo, a million people, uh, Lima, 13 million and when I get to Colombia, it's going to go, you know, we'll be using the same numbers. But uh, just going down through here, um, Douglas Wilka, is, uh, in, he, he's in the eastern side. His work, we just finished up supporting him. Juan Quispe, another man on that eastern side around Otabamba, Ruben Quispe. Uh, these guys are just one right after another, right after another in that Cusco area. And they're doing a phenomenal job. 
Their biggest need is to get money to build buildings so that they can house the people. I'll show you a few uh, pictures at the end in that Cusco area just to show you what I'm talking about uh, and tell you a story. Let me go on. Bogota. We have six guys in Bogota. And they would go everywhere from this north, north section up here. And they would sort of surround Bogota. And it's sort of like a crescent where these guys are ministering. We've been able to do that since we've opened up Bogota about four or five years ago. Again, this is stuff that you guys have helped us to do. These are your church starts. And, and I so appreciate it. Um, Uruguay. We opened up Uruguay last year. We, we have the distinct pleasure of working with Gustavo Gonzalez and Gustavo Humani. And, and um, one is up north. Uh, that would be up here. And one is down south. That's down here. Uh, Abagas up in the north and Aruca uh, down in the south. It's not on the map, but it would be down there where I was showing you. We just opened those guys up. And they have a school that's doing a great job with some very strong academics. Again, producing the kind of person that we're after. I hope I'm not boring you to death with this. I truly hope I'm not. I just got back from Mexico. So I sit down with these guys in Mexico. Um, Bixby and uh, two other guys. Uh, Jonathan Lathan is another guy and uh, uh, Russ Raymore. Those are the three guys that are the movers and shakers in the theology department of UCLA. And I explain what we're doing. And you can just see them. They're, they're, they're just almost bouncing in their seat. They're excited. I said, would this sort of interest you guys? You know, is this something that might interest you? Well, they just, yes, absolutely this would interest us. It connects the dots. I said, I'm glad you see that. Do you have anybody that you might recommend for this? All three of them together recommended one guy. His name is Gustavo Mies. Gustavo Mies. He's down in the Yucatan. Uh, that would be, let me get over here. Nope, not that one. I get the wrong one all the time. Here we go. The Yucatan, that's, come on, work with me. There we go. There it is. <laughs> the Yucatan, that little knob that's there. Anyway, if it, have any of you ever gone to Cancun? Come on, you can confess. <laughs> the rest of us can cover it a little bit. Yeah, it's in the Cancun area. Cancun and then go south um, a couple of hours. That's the area this guy's in. And they are so ready to help him. And... And, and here's the commitment. This year, we have gone to a place of saying, we'll underwrite our candidates 90% instead of the full 100 with board approval. The one man said, this guy is so good that if his home church has problems supporting them with that 10%, I'll underwrite that 10%. That's how much we think of these guys. Folks, that's the kind of commitment we're getting from our advisors on the ground. They want this program so bad, they're willing to, they, they see the benefit. They see the profit. It just makes good sense. So, financial accountability, all the funds that we get run through Central Missionary Clearinghouse. 
We use that because we want a paper trail. Again, another layer of accountability built into this. It, we're really big on accountability, and that's, it just makes sense. Here's some pictures that I thought you might enjoy seeing. Uh, some of them uh, just, again, it, it's the idea of us being able to show you pictures of people that you have helped come to know Jesus. These are men that are out there. This is Alcides. Alcides is in the Cusco area. He would be uh, looking at Cusco. He would be in the southeast corner, uh, right by the airport. Uh, if you've ever gone to Cusco, there you go. You visit Alcides. They don't live extravagantly. And this guy is probably one of the best. I, I shouldn't say that because that's not right. He is one of the more vibrant soul winners if you'll allow that term, evangelists that we have had the pleasure to work with. This guy is always sharing Christ. Everywhere he goes, he shares Christ. And it's not just throwing out the gospel. He has a way of doing it that he reaps many, many souls. Alcides was working and teamed up with an American missionary, which we're fine with. We are absolutely fine with that. And they have been able to buy land. They have been able to build two small structures to house their church service and their children's ministry. And COVID hits. So now what do they do? Everything's locked down. Well, they go and start Zooming. They go and start gathering food and start giving food to the the people of their area. Right above their church is a main bus line. They stop there. They have eggs. They have rice. They have foodstuffs. And there are people that are lined up down the street waiting to go and get food. They would bring them down into the area of their church. And they're zigzagged all the way down through line after line. They're there ministering to them. They're there preaching the gospel to them. Well, in a moment, I'm going to show you what happens with that. But obviously, when people get saved, they get baptized. Um, no real nice uh, baptismal tank there. They go and they find a place where there is water. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may. And they do. And they join the church and they get serving the Lord. Here they are witnessing to kids, to adults. Where they go, they are quick to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our churches take on different appearances. Uh, some would be far more, far more normal to what we would expect. The one, the big picture in the left and then the one on the right. But some are out, outside. And here are a group of people uh, from the area. This is Orobamba uh, that are meeting out in the, the courtyard of the school that's there. Um, this, the church building that they used to meet in was basically condemned. So now the church is meeting under an awning in the churchyard of the school in Orobamba. But this is one of Alcides' church buildings. This is the one building he has. He has a children's building. This building could not handle the people coming out of covid so what you're seeing here is just a portion. This is, I believe this is a ladies' meeting. And over here, mother-daughter or ladies' meeting. But let me show you what happened. See the tent? That tent, they butted, butted right up against the building because they needed the extra room. 
He had a medical missions team come in and do work in that tent. But that's the overflow tent now, and that's where they're meeting. Folks, I want to tell you something. The gospel is being presented, is being heard, and is being believed in Latin America. People are getting saved. Churches are being started. And churches are supporting their pastors. The programs are good. You can see in the bottom, bottom right there, there are large gatherings of people. They want to hear. And there are some good men that are there to preach. The gospel is going forth. But not only in the city, this is out in the, out in the rural areas. They, they, they don't need glamorous structures. They need a roof over their head so that when it rains, they stay dry. Or when it's hot, they stay cool, or relatively speaking. So this is what we see. Their pews, you can see them, pieces of plank that are held together, and that's it. But they love Jesus And they want what has been offered, and they love their pastors. They love to hear the preaching of God's word. Not just where we've been, but where we're going. It's by design that we put that in there. Folks, the scene of missions is changing a bit. And and now we can leverage some of what we've invested in for years and years and years. And where we're going is now to invest in the national pastor. But we don't do it haphazardly. We do it surgically. We want the best, the qualified, the recommended, the called, the demonstrated. We want guys that are there and for real. I believe that our model is, has been proven again and again and again. We're seeing a great success rate, and you're the beneficiary of churches being started in Latin America through BEME. And we so appreciate it. We're humbled. Thank you for your time and consideration. It's one of the best investments of missions dollars, I believe, that we can make. And it's one of the best uses of the resources available to complete the greatest task set before us. You know what, folks? It just makes sense. And that's the truth. Now, I'm sorry, uh, I'm not sorry. I'm not, I, I, Pastor wanted me to present what we're doing. That's what I did. I didn't preach to you today. Well, maybe I did, a little. But truth is, this is the program that you guys, are, you guys are supporting. And you ought to know what you're supporting. You ought to see some faces to the people that you're supporting and, and leading that have been led to Christ. This is the program, and we are humbled and thankful for your support for us. I'm right where I want to be. We'll pray. Father, thanks so much for opportunity to present to present what we're doing in Latin America. Uh, tonight we'll have some we'll, we'll have some fun uh, with, with the with the evening service and and just demonstrating how this sort of fits practically and uh, to you be the glory, Lord. But today. Uh, Might our hearts be not just on one mission and not just on one country, but on the need globally. The missiologists, they're overwhelmed with the the need that is out there just to to get close to meeting needs. We we, we would need a million, literally we would need a million 
pastors, missionaries in the field to, to, to address the global scene. And that's, that's not taking into account the, the, the geopolitical issues that are going on. That's just, a, that, that's just in peaceful times to be able to minister. That, that we need that. Lord, there's so much work to be done. So help us to be strategic. Help us to be very wise. It's your money. It, it, it's, it's our accountability before our great God. Help us to serve, to serve you thought through, planned, purposeful, sacrificial. We'll remember those that are in, in bonds. We'll rejoice with those that have the freedom to exercise faith in Christ without oppression. This is the world you put us in, Lord. This is our time. Help us to use it well as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Might we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.